0: Well, we begin a, a new term, and um, for those that like kind of knowing a bit of a roadmap around what we're going to do, um, for the first part of this term, there's a few kind of key days in the church calendar that we're going to be exploring, uh, and so that's going to be coming up over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and so I just wanted to share this, and then we're most likely going to go into a series exploring the book of Galatians in the tail, half, tail second part of uh, term two. Oh my gosh, I get back on the wagon this morning. Um, and so that's a bit of the plan. Okay. But this morning, I, I want to share uh, lessons from the life of Joseph. Um, not uh, Joseph, this Joseph. Um, this is a, a most scholars suggest uh, he looked like and uh, his robe looked like. Um, because there's, it's just such a, I, I'm really enjoying myself at Bay Vineyard, you know, just for the record, which is a good good thing as a pastor. We're kind of having a good time. And I love what God's doing. I love like this kind of hunger and, um, oh, I forgot to mention our pre-meeting. Can't believe I didn't do this. Next, and I love our prayer meetings. And I love what God's doing there. Next week we've got um, a prayer meeting, um, and what we're doing at the start of every term we're going to have these all-in Kingdom Come prayer meetings, uh, the nights of worship and prayer. Uh, and so that's going to be next Sunday. We don't have a prayer meeting tonight, but I'd love, like, it's an all-in one. If you, if you, if you're the sort of person that only goes to the occasional prayer meeting, make it this one. I want you know this is going to be rah-rah and we're going to worship, and we're going to pray, and we're going to. It's going to be awesome. It's at. Uh, p.m. next Sunday, so please get along to that. Um, and I'm really enjoy- so I'm enjoying what God's doing in our midst. I'm enjoying the formation that's taking place and all the rest of it. Um, but it's important that we hold on to the tr- the reality that God wants to form us into people who can live lives of love, and that's not an easy journey. Uh, There's a lot that's uh, challenging in our culture around trying to live that because our culture would say that we're to serve ourselves and live for ourselves and then other people come second. And Jesus invites us to be formed in such a way that our lives are a blessing to others. And, uh, and so that can be tricky, but God forms us. And uh, there's this wonderful book called um, Sacred Fire. It's just, um, I think I'm going to start rereading it for like the fifth time. It's, I love it because in the opening couple of pages, he's like, there is this is Ronald Rollheiser, an amazing Catholic author. He said, There is a conspiracy between God and nature to mellow the soul. And I just think that's so true. There's there's this thing that takes place where God wants to shape and form us. From from egotistical dreams that are centered around us to being people that he can use to bless many people, and we see this in the life of Joseph. And so I want to um, I want to explore this story, which uh, we're going back to Sunday school a little bit, which I love. We're going we're going to just work our way through. And um, none of the scriptures are going to be on the um, on the slides. It's just going to be pictures today. So if you do have your Bible, uh, then if you want to turn to Genesis 37, you can track with us, and that can be on your Android or your uh, iPad or. Your um or your scroll or tablet or actual Bible, whatever you're using these days. Uh, so let's walk through the story of Joseph and uh, and see what God does here. The very first thing that that is important to note with Joseph is that he comes from a dysfunctional family. Isn't that great news? Hands up, those no, don't. Uh, have you, but like the God. Always, if you look at the particularly in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, he just always picks the people you wouldn't think. He doesn't pick the people that have got it all sorted out, he picks broken people from broken families. And uh, so, we see this because Joseph isn't the firstborn, and in that particular culture, the firstborn is the person that carries on the firstborn. So, I'm like, I'm always a little bit disappointed that God never chooses firstborns <laughs> while the culture does. In the Old Testament, it's fascinating uh, because he's trying to make a point here. I don't just pick what the culture thinks. It's a bit rats. Because, but growing up as a firstborn back in the day would have been sweet because I would have got more of the inheritance when dad died. And uh, I would have been in charge over my younger brothers. I've only got one, but I'd love that so much. Um, but But what happened is that Uh, uh, Joseph's dad uh, was, he, he, you know, you're not meant to actually have favorites with your kid, but like, uh, with your kids, but like, uh, but he's like, yeah, you're my favorite, Joseph. And like, uh, and you get this special robe. And this robe means a couple of things. Contextually, this robe means that you don't have to work while your brothers do. This robe means that you are actually in charge of your brothers. You're the foreman. You're in charge of it. Listen to this in Genesis 37 verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of others. I mean, can you get this here? It's insane. It's in black and white in the Bible. Uh, He loved him more than any of his other children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a long robe with sleeves. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, listen, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably to him. So they were just constantly agitated. Uh, If my little brother had been given that sort of treatment, there would have been issues in my upbringing as well. Um, And so there would have been deep, deep wounds of rejection by these other brothers and incredible, obviously, jealousy that was going on there. Uh, And so then Joseph, just to make things kind of worse, has these dreams Uh, From that are from God. These symbolic dreams about His destiny and His future, and in these dreams, wheat bow down to Him, and in another dream, the sun and the moon and the stars bow down to Him. And there's just the same number of stars as there is brothers. How interesting! And so, really, like, I don't know how much of an ego you had in your late teens. But I shudder when I look back at my late teens and I think about how arrogant I was in my ego and my ambitions. It was like, and if God had given me these dreams, I'm sure just like Joseph, I would have told everyone, oh, one day I'm going to be a big deal and you're going to bow down to me and it's going to be so awesome. And so uh, Joseph, this arrogant little git, shared these dreams with his brothers uh, and and like so many teenagers, like as far as he's concerned, the world revolves around him, and he's got the dreams from God to prove it. It's like oh, I'm a big deal. He's given this, uh, you know, obviously this rich coat, and and uh, and he's ruling over his brothers, but he doesn't have the character to go with actually the calling that God has given him. Uh, the dream Joseph had was from God. The brothers don't like it. His father is concerned about it. But God didn't tamper with the dream. He did temper the dreamer. He does temper the dreamer. And so the the brothers plot to kill him. At the last minute, they bail. They throw him down this well, and they decide to sell him into slavery. And his his coat, which symbolized his position, is ripped from him and given to his father as evidence that uh, he had died. And... um, I don't know what Joseph was feeling at the bottom of that first pit because this is the first of a few that he goes through. But again, the betrayal that he went through and the confusion probably, like, God, you gave me these dreams and now I'm a slave? Um, God was changing Joseph through these uh, horrendous and he begins this journey of formation and honestly if there's nothing else you get from my little korero this morning it's this if you're going through tricky times do not wonder whether God is present in your life God is normally more present when we go through difficult times than he is when things are sweet like that is where that's where we're formed and this is what happens with Joseph. Uh, Your personal circumstances do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you, says Andy Stanley. How encouraging is that? Sometimes we go through really painful seasons in our life and sometimes it's like, God, why is this happening to me? I thought you were meant to love me. And uh, so we've got to be careful, I've said this a few times, not to confuse life circumstances with God's heart. God's heart is always for us. And if we have a soft heart, and we'll see that Joseph does, that, that he will shape and mould something in us in those brutal times that can only really be shaped during those tough times. There's something that gets broken in us in terms of our ego and our ambition and our self centeredness that, that only really occurs at the bottom of a well. And so if you feel like your life's at the bottom of a well this morning, I pray that you'll be encouraged. Because when you look at all of the people that God uses, if you look at Abraham, Moses, David, Isaiah, Jesus, all of them were led into the desert place. All of them were shaped in significant moments in those places. And it's important to note that there's always... A lag between the anointing and the appointing. Oh, he's preaching like a Pentecostal pastor this morning, hey, right? There's a there's a there's a there's a lag between the anointing and the appointing. Uh, if you look at the life of David, he's anointed to be king, but it's a decade. Uh, he's anointed to be king, but it's a decade later he is appointed as the king. That's a long time, and there's a lot of time spent in caves and running for his life, broken places where you're like, I, I thought there was something promised to me, God. What's going on here? So Joseph is sold uh, to um, to Potiphar, who's the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. And in time, Joseph rises through the ranks because of this anointing and blessing that God has on his life. Listen to this in uh, verse 5 to 6 from Genesis 39. If you've got your Bibles, you can have a look there. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. What a great line. He didn't concern himself with anything but the food he ate. Oh man, that's if there's one line in scripture that sounds like my idea of heaven, it's that one there. Oh Lord, lead me into the Potiphar anointing, where I can just all I can be concerned about is the food I'm gonna eat. But it's interesting, this is the beginning for Joseph where he begins to see with his own eyes that there is an anointing on his life. There is this thing of God's calling on his life. But that calling and that anointing isn't so that he will become a big somebody. That anointing and that calling is so that others would be blessed. So that others would be blessed. We are to learn what it looks like to serve another person and to serve others. Uh, and this happens as in uh, in uh, in the life of Joseph. One of the most um impacting talks for me over the weekend with Steve Graham over Easter Camp was that first talk he gave around freedom. The fact that Christ has set us free. And what is that freedom for? It's so that we may serve one another humbly in love. That is the mark of Christian freedom. Those that are walking in freedom can humbly serve one another. And we see that this is what God wants to shape in all of us. And we see here in Joseph, he's beginning to see, there's this favour of my life, there's this calling on my life, but it's not as I say, so that he could become a big somebody, so that others can be blessed through him. And so Potiphar's wife has the hots uh, for Joseph. He's a a really good looking man and and he uh, resists her advances. And eventually it turns ugly when he flees from her and she's left holding his cloak in in her hand. And so for the second time, Joseph's cloak is stripped from him. And for a second time, his position and his status are removed from him. I, I, as I've read these texts a whole lot, I don't think Potiphar really actually thought that his wife, uh, that Joseph was to blame in this whole thing um, because if he really thought Joseph was guilty, Joseph would be a dead man. So I think Potiphar's wife probably, he probably had some suspicions that there was a wee bit of mucking around going on. Uh, and so, but to keep face, he, has to, uh, he sends him to jail. And, and Joseph naturally must have been, must have been just so gutted like again, life's kind of getting a little bit better and then once more he's thrown into a pit. And, and, the co- and the reason why is because he chose the path of integrity. He chose the path of integrity. If he'd wind up sleeping with with Potiphar's wife, you know, then he probably could have, there'd be a little collusion in their secret and all the rest of it and life probably would have stayed the same. I mean, eventually your sins are going to find you out. But like, mate, he's as horny as the next mechanic. And he chose no to Potiphar's wife, right? He's a young, red-blooded male. Get your heads around this, folks. And, and this woman's like fully trying to seduce him. And he says, no, that's impressive. Come on, boys. That's really impressive. And it's like, and, and that's why, again, guys and girls, <laughs> Choosing Jesus and choosing the way of integrity will cost us at times. And it should cost us at times. Like our careers get affected. Uh, at times around the board table, you, you have to make a choice you know, with the, of ethics and integrity and around moral things or whatever it may be. And it will cost you because society doesn't value that stuff anymore. We choose to follow. Him, and, and he did that. And once more, he's innocent, but he's thrown into prison. The poop hits the whirly thing again and hits it hard. Everything is tumbling around him once more. And so he winds up in this prison. Genesis 39 verse 20 says, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, listen, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those, who, uh, all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Again, there's this favour. But here's the amazing thing about Joseph's choices. Like, basically, Joseph has the choice in these pits, do I choose to sulk or do I choose to serve? Right now, <laughs> I can't with integrity stand before you and say oh, I would serve every time. I love a good sulk, man. It's some of the best feelings in the world. Is just wallowing on the own misery of the ashes of my life when things don't go as well as I think they should go. Right? And nothing like a good sulk. Sulkings, but it doesn't bring healing. And it's not the way of Jesus. Now, when you go through grief and, and through disappointment in life, and all of us have and will continue to go through disappointment in life, the older you get, the more you realise that a lot of life is a lot of disappointment. But we can choose now to process that well and then choose to continue to humbly serve and love. And so uh, Joseph, to his credit, keeps responding like this. He, he knows that those dreams that God gave him were real but he doesn't think, like this sense of entitlement is getting broken in Joseph. And so in that position of being a nobody in a prison, he's like, how can I serve? How can I serve? What, do you what can I do to help? How can I make your life easier? How, tell me how I can help. Tell me how I can serve. How can I humbly serve and love? And he chooses to do that. After clearly what must be some grieving and some, some processing, he chooses to, uh, to serve. He's been hurt by his brothers. He's, he's been hurt by this trumped up accusation, but he chooses to work with God. And we see time and time again that God uses these painful places that Joseph is in to shape his character. It's, it's beautiful to note that later in life, Joseph names one of his sons Ephraim which means he may be fruitful in the land of my suffering." And uh, in Psalm 84, it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. This morning, some of you have like been wrestling with your faith and have been wrestling with what's going on in your life. And this morning, the Lord wants to say, He wants to give you fresh strength for the journey that you're on. And this morning that you'll resolve, I'm going to continue to be a pilgrim with Jesus. As they pass through the valley of Baca, this place of weeping, it will become a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pool. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. That's from Psalm 84. I love this whole thing. We see this time and time again in those difficult places. God does something deep and they become places where we look back and we say, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for what God did in that place. Now, you've got to remember here that Joseph... um, Did not know how things were going to play out. Already, a lot of you guys are like, yeah, yeah, we know what happens, mate. Eventually, he becomes a big deal and his brothers do bow down and all the rest of it. He didn't know that in the prison. As far as he was concerned, that's it for the rest of his life. I'm going to be in this prison until the day I die, right? Like he doesn't know, but he keeps on choosing in his heart this way of God and he keeps serving Unbeknownst to Joseph is that during these times of servitude to Potiphar and to the warden, he's learning the skills that will help him in time lead the whole nation of Egypt. <laughs> skills and lessons that would be incredibly difficult to learn in any other place. He was, God was also working deep in his heart. He was working in Joseph so that the dreams he had from God would come to pass, not in Joseph's perception, but in God's way, in God's way. Uh, he was teaching him that the the key to outworking the, there was keys to outworking the dreams that he had been given him and they were to learn to operate from a place of humility and servant-heartedness friends that's it like there's a conspiracy between God and nature to help you learn to be a person of humility and servant-heartedness. Why? Because that is the one we worship. And his name is Jesus. He is the one whose who's humble. Advent every year moves me to my core. Humble to the point of becoming a baby. Humble washing feet. Humble dying on the cross on behalf of us. He is the God of glory who chose this. Humility and servant-heartedness. So in the, in the prison, he, um, he meets two very influential people, uh, Pharaoh's cupbearer and chief baker, and they both have dreams. They're both in there because they've been a bit naughty. Uh, and Joseph has this role in interpreting their dream, very accurately, it turns out. The baker is killed, and the cupbearer is restored in his position. Uh, and again, we see this whole thing of, of serving other people and of engaging with other people's dreams. And he implores uh, to the cupbearer that when he is reinstated to remember him, and there's this tragic line at the end of chapter 40, uh, it says this, but the cupbearer forgot him. (laughs) Just so rats. I mean, this guy just interpreted his dreams, like clearly quite memorable moment for the cupbearer. And it's like, just the only thing I ask is that you remember me? And then he didn't. (laughs) He's like, oh, cheers, mate. (laughs) And uh, again, like, A full two years passes uh, uh, before Joseph eventually is called before Pharaoh. Two years! Do you know how long that is? It's a long time. Our church has only been going for three, you know. (laughs) Two years is a long time. And in total for Joseph, it was 13 years between when he got those dreams and when things begin to get outworked for him. Uh, And 13 years of God using the pain and the disappointment to transform him for God's purposes. And so Pharaoh has, uh, so there he is sitting in the, in the thing on his own. And so Pharaoh has a dream that his magicians and wise men can't interpret. The cupbearer remembers Joseph and that he is gifted at interpreting dreams and he uh, is brought from prison to Pharaoh. He's got to like shave his bed and clean up and everything. Um, and there's incredible humility. Like there's been something that's happened in Joseph over this time. In Genesis 41 verse 16, Joseph says, I can't interpret, but God will give you the answer. Do you know what's happening there? Like he's all of a sudden giving the glory to God. There's, some, there's, a, there's a humble uh, spirit that's formed in Joseph. I've said this a few times. You know, when you uh, see a great uh, sculpture, you do not praise the chisel. You praise the artist. Friends, we're all just chisels. I look at what God has done in this church over the last couple of years, and I'm like, we give glory to the artist. We're all just chisels. Uh, and, uh, and so he begins to, um, to interpret these dreams, these dreams of, of uh, incredible abundance of, for seven years, followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph, with the mix of skills he's learned in prison, prison and serving Potiphar, comes up with this plan. And then in, in Genesis 41, verse 42, again, the symbolic moment, this, a cloak is placed around Joseph for the third time. This time he's a different man the skills he's learnt, but more importantly, the way he's allowed God to change him means that he's ready to step into the fullness of what God has for him. His whole approach is how can I help others? How can I serve others? How can I bless others? And he's made second in command. Uh, and so then in time, uh, his brothers arrive uh, to ask for grain from Joseph. And when they arrive, they bow down before Joseph, just as the dreams had said. But Joseph's response is not to rub it in their face. Again, I'm reading all this. I'm like, it would be mine. Like everything in me just want to be like, ah, yeah, in your face. It took 13 years, but yeah. uh. He doesn't abuse them and he doesn't repay evil with evil. In verse 24, we read that Joseph weeps. Tears are the sign of a soft heart. Tears are the sign of a soft heart. And uh, and then in uh, verse 45, Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to to, uh, preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. In his dialogue with his brothers, Joseph four times says, God sent me ahead of you. And what Joseph is saying there is, is really interesting. Back in this day, when uh, the time of, of Joseph, um, what people would do is, is uh, when they would travel from a place to place, they would send their slaves and their servants ahead of them. And what Joseph is saying is that he says, he sees himself as a servant that's been sent ahead of his brothers. Isn't it amazing? Like initially with all the ego, he's like, one day you're going to bow down to me. When his brothers finally do, he says, actually I was sent ahead of you and I was sent ahead as a servant. He's trying to communicate four times loudly and clearly, God sent me ahead as a servant for you. Beautiful, beautiful moments. What a change of heart. What character takes two different pits, a well in a prison. It takes serving under two different masters, Potiphar and a jail uh, warden. And, and through all of this, there's this blessing on Joseph's life because he continues to learn the lessons that God needs him to learn if he's to be used powerfully by him. In Genesis 12, uh, we see that God made this this, uh, covenant with Abraham that his descendants would be be blessed so that all the nations would be blessed. Blessed to be a blessing. And Joseph is outworking this. Now, it's interesting that there's so much in Joseph's story that resonates with the life of Jesus. It's said that Jesus uh, is concealed in the Old Testament and revealed in the New and there's so many epic little uh, overlaps here to the story of Jesus. Uh, Joseph was given a vision that people would bow down to him. Jesus was called to be king, and in his kingship, many would find salvation. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. It would be so epic if it was the same, eh? Guess what? Bible nerds have worked it out. they actually... If you, inflation, if you take inflation to account, it's exactly the same amount of money. How cool is that? Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife but resisted the temptation. Jesus was tempted and did not sin in the wilderness. Joseph was accused of crimes he did not commit. Jesus was accused of crimes he did not commit. Joseph was with two other criminals, one who found life, the other who died. Jesus on the cross had two criminals next to him, one who came into eternal life and one who did not. Jesus is present throughout this whole story. Uh, I want us to grasp, Bay Vineyard, how important it is. The journey that God wants to take each one of us, to form us and to sanctify us. The Bible says that we're to be transformed from glory to glory. That actually there is this journey that we all take where God transforms us. And mostly it's in those difficult times. And in those difficult times when we choose the way of Jesus, there's something that happens in our lives that's so profound and beautiful because we become a little bit more like Jesus. You know, I, uh, I was reflecting on my journey to Bay Vineyard um, from, a, um, from a young age. I knew I was called to full-time ministry. And I was like, I'm looking forward to being a pastor one day of my own church. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be the perfect church because I've worked it all out. And uh, it's going to be amazing. (laughs) And we are, yes, Beth, you're right. Um, But do you know how long it's been for me? It was 15 years serving under three wonderful leaders Serving their dreams, serving their visions, wrestling with all the stuff in me that was ego and ambition and self-centeredness and a desire to be somebody and all of that. So much of that had to die, and death isn't painful, isn't isn't fun. It's like it was painful. There was there was the sense of of God um, stripping something from me that needed to be stripped. It was difficult. Uh, but I'm so so grateful to God for what He did during those times. I remember um, as a teenager, uh, I thought, especially that I was going I was called to be a famous worship leader. I was like, I'm gonna be a big deal, you know. And uh, and I dreams. I was like, I'm gonna become a, a minor celebrity for Jesus, and I'm going to play in front of thousands of people, and and uh, I'm gonna be a big deal. And I, I had you know worship leader heroes of mine. I thought, oh, any day now, it's gonna be my turn, and and. Uh, as you can tell, uh, some, of those, some of those dreams happen there. But you know what I discovered over the last couple of years? That actually those dreams were from God. But that actually God didn't want me to be a rocket ship. He wanted me to be a rocket pad. And it's amazing over the last 15 years that God keeps bringing talented worship leaders into my world, into my sort of orbit. And I've got to serve them and love them and raise them up. And they're flying off and writing songs and doing albums and all that sort of stuff. And it brings me so much joy. Hand on heart. It brings me so much joy. And it's like, oh my gosh, I'm not... I'm not meant to do that, and I'm really, really happy about that now, actually. It's not actually where I'm most gifted. It's not where I'm most graced. I don't quite have the voice for it. I'm not very good at writing songs. Two things that are quite important, if that is your calling. Uh, I love helping people write songs, and I love cheering on worship leaders, but it's like the freedom that comes when we realise what these dreams are meant to look like is so beautiful. There's so much life in it. And, you know, um, life isn't easy. You know, like, life does throw lots of pits at us and lots of prison times where it's like, I didn't think it was meant to play out like this, God. This is really unfair. This isn't fun. Like, there's a lot of that in life. But And you know what? Um, Even in Hebrews 11, it says that there was all these heroes of the faith and a lot of them didn't even see what was promised in their lifetime. The stuff that was promised did come to pass. God's promises always, yes and amen, they will happen. But some of those heroes didn't get to see even those things. And I'm like, I just have to make peace that I'm just a small part of this great story of God. And at the end of the day, when I stand before God one day, there's some words he wants to say to me. And you know what they are? Not well done, good and successful worship leader. Not well done, minor Christian celebrity, you really cracked the Christian scene. (laughs) You know, it's like, well done, how many conferences you got invited to or anything like that. It's like, no, well done, good and faithful servant. And I tell you what, if there's anything to double down on in life, it's just choose to humbly serve. Like that is not a wasted life. Even if other people don't see, he does. He's always watching, he sees. And that is worth giving your life to. But that's not easy because there is something in us that, that does need to be broken, Uh, Our selfish ambition, uh, the desire for it to be about us, it's not about us. You know, (laughs) we've just spent the last two weeks on holiday, you know, and uh, parents, you'll understand this, I remember what holidays were like before kids. They were all about me. <laughs> and it was epic. Like, you know, I used to go surfing whenever I wanted. I used to wake up and think, what do I want to do today? And it's like once more we had a holiday. And last week we've been at my parents' – just the last week we are actually on holiday. And, you know, me and Jen have been processing it because I felt quite flat over you know, I was a bit tired and felt a bit flat. And I think now I've, Jen, Jen hears me externally process in sermons, poor thing. I've worked it out, Jen. <laughs> I reckon, I reckon part of it is just keeping on having to embrace the fact that it's not about us, you know. And it's like, it's going to do stuff with the kids that I don't particularly feel like doing a lot of the time. And again, such is the conspiracy between God and nature to mellow the soul. There's something about life that keeps inviting us back to that place of being a humble servant, it keeps inviting us back and we rage and we resist and we kick and scream and we throw our lollies and it's not fun and, we, and, and all the rest of it. But it's the way of Jesus. And there's a sense this morning where I want to actually invite us back to that thing of like, I want to embrace the calling on my life because whatever the dreams you may have, at the heart of any dream given from God is that you would humbly serve others so that they would be blessed. All of us are called ultimately to be rocket pads, not rocket ships, to see other people blessed, to see other people made whole. And I love, I love the culture in this church. We need, like, we just have to have a culture of humble servant-heartedness because we've got to load in and out every single Sunday. We're a mobile church, like, everything requires a bit of extra work in a church like ours right now. It's good for us. It's good for us. It's good for our formation that we choose to humbly serve, and I'm very, very proud of, uh, of the culture that we have here. So, this morning, um, I'd love, uh, I'd love to. I just had in my heart this morning some of you that um, are going through times that are uh, really tricky, and um, and you know that God's inviting you to this place of deep formation. Like you're knowing, you know when you know there's some deep work God wants to do in my heart, but you're, part of, but you're like, I don't like being here. I really don't like being here. That somehow uh, in this moment, that God would give you the grace to accept the season you're in and, to, and that you would say to the Lord, shape and mould me in this place. Do what you need to do in my heart in this place. He, he don't like, the worst thing you can do is just stop in a season. Just keep moving, keep going and set your heart on pilgrimage. But just embrace the fact that God wants to do something in that place. And so in a second, I'd love to pray uh, for you. Um, but secondly, uh, I would just love to invite all of us to say, Lord, I want my life to be a blessing. Lord, help me not to live for myself, but to be actually a conduit of your love, of your life, of your goodness and your healing. Let everything you have given me be used as a blessing for others. Whether it's finance or gifts or connections or education or whatever it may be. May every person I encounter be blessed because of all that you've given me. That is the invitation of God this morning.